VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. With Jane Garvey and Feed Lover. Welcome. You're sounding a bit nasal now. Do you think you've got my cold? Don't, because since you told me about how actually incredibly serious your bug last week <laughs> might have turned out to be, I've become a little bit paranoid. I've used the anti thingy jiggy germ sanitizer about four times today. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And one of our very young, fit and healthy producers, Hugo, he's been flattened by something over the weekend. Yeah, he has. Uh, can we just repeat what he just said? You said to him, have you done a COVID test? He said, yeah. Short pause. Well, my flatmate had the same thing. And, and he, he did, did one. He did one and it was negative. It doesn't work like that. I don't think he's a medical student, is he? Or indeed a fully trained doctor. He's a, currently a journalist here. But yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think that is the young people's approach these days to the COVID, isn't it? I mean, they're very fortunate because obviously most young people completely breeze through the whole thing. So to them, it's just something they'd rather not be part of their lives. Yeah. But I guess if you are going out and about and you suspect you have COVID, you are, of course, at risk of passing it on to people who might be a little bit more yeah, frail and vulnerable. And that's the issue. Like me, Jane. I mean, I'm about three times the bloke's age. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, can you ever have imagined when we were back in the dark days of COVID being mm. able to talk about it in such a lighthearted way? No, and you know we're, we need to be incredibly grateful to those people who made it possible for us to talk about it in a really lighthearted way. I bought a friend last week for her birthday the book by Kate Bingham about the vaccine and she's reading it and um, I think, I hope it's going to be really interesting. It's one of those books I bought for her in the hope that perhaps when she's finished with it you might lob it my Give it way. back to you. Yes, just so I can have a look. Yeah, yeah there are two types of books this time of year, aren't there? There's, there's that one, yeah. and then there's the one that uh, you buy for yourself and think, I should not have going to read that. Oh, look, it's Christmas. I'll, <laughs> I'll hand it on. Uh, Which so, reminds me, what am I yes. going to do about your Christmas present? Bearing in mind that you go off at the end of this week. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't want to uh, put a cat among the pigeons here, but I actually wrapped up your present last night and I will be bringing it in. Well, you might, you wouldn't say no to another emergency candle, would you? (laughs) (laughs) But I tell you what, if you buy me a bottle of sparkling water and a mince pie from the cafeteria and call that Christmas... Uh, we're not friends anymore. Well, I actually lit, I think, the candle that you bought me the Christmas before last. I lit it yesterday afternoon as I wrapped my presents and watched Meghan and Harry. Yeah, not my present, though. 
He didn't wrap no. my present. He just lit my present. Yeah, that's yeah. true, actually. It's rather put me on the back foot. <sighs> sticky wickets. Very sticky wickets. Okay. Dave the Stray Cat set oh, for UK yes. transfer. It's a story we didn't have time for in our very busy programme. Gosh, it was busy today. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. With some very interesting features in it. And the lovely Susanna Constantine, who we'll get to in a sec. But this did make me laugh, Jane. Uh, so, I mean, the headline tells you everything that you need to know, really. But just to flesh it out a little bit, Kyle Walker and John Stones found a lovely cat in their hotel uh, when they were over in Qatar. I've just learned how to say that yeah, in time for the... a bit late in the day. <laughs> the, the tournament to finish. Uh, and they nicknamed him Dave. Uh, Walker says, Dave is fine. Hopefully I can stick to my promise that he will come home with us if we win the World Cup. So that was the promise they made to Dave. There's no reporting of what Dave's answer was. But anyway, we haven't won the World Cup. The team are coming back, but they've decided that they want Dave to come with them so but dave's got he's got to go into quarantine he has uh, dave was taken away yesterday by qatar's animal welfare society which is being paid two thousand pounds by the players to prepare him for travel he'll be microchipped vaccinated neutered warned about the strikes as well i hope yeah. and he'll spend four months in quarantine before making the trip to his new life in manchester uh, the Football Association approached me, this is Janet Berry, 68, comma, head of the Animal Society, uh, to help them after the player said they really wanted him properly looked after and brought home. What relevance is that woman's age? <laughs> Why do they do... Newspapers have gone... I, mean, I know we're now working for an organisation that does produce some very successful newspapers. Why Janet Berry, is it relevant? comma, 68, comma head of the Animal Society. Yeah, okay. Dave's a really lovely, talkative tabby. How old is Dave? It doesn't say. How oh, old. well, that's unfair. A sexist. Weirdly, our cat actually went out this morning. She never goes outside. She chose this morning to go outside. Maybe she was looking for Dave. Exactly. I was just well, going to say, I don't think Dave should go to Manchester. I think Dave and Dora should be happily ensconced together in East West Kensington. I don't like the sound of Dave. If he's a Manchester City fan, he's got no place in our house. He can bog off. Actually, I did notice some very big paw prints on the easy grass first thing this morning. Foxes? It is the foxes, isn't it? Yeah. They are. And the paws are quite substantial, the prints. Well, you might have a a lost big cat from Dartmoor. I mean, that can happen this time oh, of year. Oh, you mean the Worcestershire wildcat spends <laughs> his winters in West London? Yeah, it is possible. I didn't actually. This summer was was notable for the absence of stories about big cats roaming the countryside. I didn't actually hear very many of them. It was so hot that people didn't go to the pub and drink huge quantities of ale and then suddenly see big cats in the distance. It didn't seem to be a thing. But maybe they're just resting and they'll be back next summer. I hope so. Oh, I very much hope so. Yeah. I didn't always, I didn't think it was the summer. I always thought it was a bit of a kind of winter pastime. The what, big the big cat, cat spotting? Big cat oh, well, spotting. It, in my local radio days, it was always high summer across Herefordshire and Worcestershire. Um, a lot of people would uh, indulge in a liquid lunch and then they'd suddenly see something on the horizon and we'd send the radio car out there. Bugger all. Nothing, yeah. nothing going on. There never was a big puma roaming around the Vale of Evesham. I mean, you would be surprised, let's face it. Although anything is possible. Yeah. Uh, what have you got there? No, I was just about to say that, um, like, I remember people listening who, like myself, are regular users of London's shimmering Euston station. Yeah. By some margin, the worst station in London. And I have to use it quite regularly to get back up to the northwest. And on Saturday, um, they were, I hate the way they use this language, they were trialling their new notice board. Now, Euston has had that same notice board for 
oh, decade. The big electric one that's right in front of everybody as you walk on to the ghastly concourse at Euston Station. They've now invested in two notice boards that stand vertically in the middle of the concourse. Oh, a, a little bit like the new edition of the BBC's News Information Wall. A little bit like that. Yeah. So you're sort of basically there are two large notice boards and you can walk around them rather than just everybody craning their necks and gazing up at this huge notice board. But it's it's colour coded and quite confusing. There are big hands on the notice board saying stop and wait on the concourse and other things like that. But uh, anyway, miraculously, and to my complete amazement, considering the bad weather, my train to Liverpool left on time, arrived on time, and it was the same on the way back, allowing me to arrive for the second half of the big match. But of course, I rather regretted the effort I'd made. And I was thinking, I was saying to you earlier, it is weird, because we think, you know, the England football thing is a massive thing. But... Euston looked really busy, was really busy on Saturday night when I came back. Um, and there were people milling around, the bars and the pubs were absolutely full. And no one was talking about the football. Nobody apart from me appeared to be listening to it. Yeah. It was, it's weird. So a lot of people just aren't that interested. But do all. you think it is because it's a winter fixture? So the visibility in summer is just much more obvious. And obviously, it's just much more fun, isn't it, to gather in great big astroturf drinking dens, which there was one, I think, uh, the last. Uh, I think at the Euros, Euston had quite a lot of action going there. was one over there. at Wembley, the box park at Wembley. Yeah, they were but, doing but now, you know, everything has been indoors, some quite strange times as well. Uh, so I, I think it's just a, it's one of the many things that might be considered the next time mm. a country in the Middle East wants the World Cup. That and some other stuff, Jane, which we've also stopped talking about. Yeah, we? well, that's a good point, actually. All those concerns early on about the rights of women, the rights of gay people, the migrant workers. Yeah, we have... But maybe we'll go back to talking about it now that we've no hope of winning the thing. Um, and I do hope for what it's worth. I do hope Morocco win and not... I don't want France to win. Sorry, oh. I just don't... Because I don't think... Apart from, I don't think they oh, care. La, la. I don't think they care enough. Right, we'll have Susanna Constantine in a moment after Fee has visited Email Corner. Yes, dear Jane and Fee, this one comes from Vicky. Love, love, love your podcast. Literally little rays of sunshine for half an hour, four days a week. My sister introduced me to you and we diligently discuss every podcast you do as we love it so much. Well, I don't think it bears that much scrutiny actually, Vicky, but hey ho. Uh, please, please, please say hello to my beautiful, wonderful sister Rachel as it would be such a huge talking point for us and we just won't stop laughing. Last year, Rachel had a hip replacement at the incredibly young age of just 50. I know listening to you was a huge help during her recuperation. Uh, well, we're delighted to say hello to Rachel. That's just a very kind email, Vicky. And at this time of year, we're very grateful for it. So, yep, hello, Rachel. Yeah. All the best to you, Vicky, and hello to Rachel. And I hope your recovery has gone really smoothly. I know a couple of people, a couple of friends of mine have had hip, hip replacements. And actually, they've recovered really well, although I think you have to put the effort in. I don't think recovery is something that happens without you doing quite a yeah, few... Yeah, all right, staff sister. <laughs> I, did sound, I suddenly went all starchy there, didn't I, as though I was patrolling you got the your wards. watch the wrong way up on your blouse. This is from Diane. Uh, you said that you'd like to hear about the lives of listeners. Well, here I am. Thank you for this, uh, Diane. Uh, Diane says, I'm twice divorced, um, child-free, 62-year-old retiree, relocated to North Yorkshire. I recently heard the phrase, emotionally self-sufficient, and this describes me perfectly. I live alone and I thoroughly enjoy my solitude. I worked for 41 years in public service roles and also got a great amount of satisfaction from work. 
Towards the end of my working life, I also cared for my elderly parents who developed dementia at the same time, dying within seven months of each other just before I retired. My oh, gosh, that's a, that's a lot to deal with. I married men, says Diane, who, quotes, needed me. My subsequent short-lived relationships have confirmed to me that my taste in men is questionable and I am happier as a single person. Since retiring, I've embraced having no commitments and having responsibility for myself alone. I've tried volunteering, but I find I have limited tolerance for the extended company of anyone other than my much-loved family and my small circle of friends. As an introvert, I love time alone, I'm not shy, and my small talk exchanges with neighbours and retailers provide me with all the human contact I need. I've realised that for all my working life, I played the part of an outgoing, sociable colleague. But actually, it wasn't the real me. I didn't have the confidence to be myself. As a people pleaser, I'm aware I have difficulties setting boundaries with people. Being largely isolated helps to avoid this happening, though in truth, it's a skill I need to develop. It's a work in progress. Um, I feel I'm finally evolving into being, evolving into being myself without the constraints and expectations of my earlier life. And it's so liberating, says Diane. Well, she sounds a happy woman, doesn't she? I think that's a deliciously self-aware email, and I love everything about it, Diane. And I think sometimes, you know, if you, you have to give yourself a little bit of a good going over, uh, especially in midlife, and uh, really shake out the bits that you've been doing all the way through just because convention dictates. And I think you're so allowed to do it. I think it's the perfect time for a little bit of exfoliation of the characteristics that you no longer need. Yeah. Just hanging around there. Well, as some, I can relate to a lot of what Diane says, actually. And I, at the moment, thoroughly enjoying, I know people occasionally don't mind the occasional sort of book tip or something. And we're just about to um, hear an interview with Susanna, whose book we really love. But I am so enjoying as my audio book at the moment, Ruth Jones's book, Love Untold, which is a really, I was going to say sudsy, but that's unfair. It doesn't do it justice, actually. It's just a book about the lives of four women, a great grandmother, a grandmother, a mother and a teenager. And it's just so involving. And Ruth Jones reads it. Oh, so that's nice. So it's great. You feel like you're in Wales with her, living through the lives of these women. Anyway, highly recommended. If you're looking for what I'd loosely describe as a comfort listen over this rather depressing time mm. of the year. I thought you were going to say, I agree with Diane, I'm an introvert. And I was just preparing my response. <laughs> well, hang on. I think a lot of broadcasters are introverted egomaniacs, like Terry Wogan said. I don't think either of us are introverted, Jane. Do you think you are? Can we just let's go? <laughs> <laughs> Diane, you've started something, you saucy little devil. Yeah, but thank you, Diane. And that's exactly the kind of email we like, isn't it? Where someone just said, this is me and you can take me or leave me, but I'm happy where I am and good for you, Diane. Thank you. It's Jane and Fee at times.radio. Uh, just to say, Ruthie, we've got your email. We're just subbing it down. We'll bring you news of Ruthie's life, which, as we predicted, turned out to be quite yes. extraordinary in places. Just to remind everybody, Ruthie was the lady who emailed last week to say that she'd left... She had left the north of England yes. and she'd, uh, she'd hot-footed to it to Manhattan yeah. uh, and and she was a bit kind of dismissive of her adventures in Manhattan but Jane and I could smell something mm. there and we knew that there was more to that story uh, than Ruthie was letting on so uh, we'll bring you news of that later on during the week. Uh, we do love hearing from you. It's Jane and Fee at times.radio or you can tweet us at timesradio using the hashtag Jane and Fee. I don't think anybody ever has though. Uh... 
No, but we don't want to stop encouraging them, do we? Susanna Constantine was our guest this afternoon and uh, we were both really thrilled that she came on the programme. She has written an autobiography called Ready for Absolutely Nothing. And if the image you have of Susanna is as very confident, very outgoing, quite strident, you know, when she's doing her fashion TV show, well, what yeah, not she, to wear. She could be really with annoying. Trini. Oh, and so bossy. Yeah. I remember one time when she just really quite openly uh, squeezed Sophie Rayworth's boobs. But, you know, that... Uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> I think Sophie may not have forgotten either. Oh, right. uh, but everything that I thought I knew about her, uh, she confounded me in her memoir. So actually she had a really painful childhood, lots of money around, mm. but not enough of the other stuff. Mm. So the book is really surprising and also just fantastically funny in parts with all of her showbiz anecdotage. Uh, she started by telling us why she wasn't joining us in our studio. I'm speaking to you from my bed, as you can see, and um, fashion guru, I am not right now. <laughs> but I do feel like the big guest because I'm just kind of lying here like a lump um, between the sheets. So okay. I, in that respect, I am the big guest. You are a big guest. OK, now, can I ask how long have you taken to your chambers? Um, have you been there for a week or is it just a couple <laughs> of hours or, or what? No, to, today is the first day I've succumbed and I've had it for two weeks. And I know, Jane, you've been you've been um, battling this too. And wow. I've been kind of to Scotland and all over the place. Um, stupidly went cold water swimming when I was just getting it. And now I'm paying the price. Okay. So what can I say? Right. Well, I wonder if there's any chance you might spend a bit of time writing a sequel to your memoir, because I'd read it. I've read this one and I'll, I think there's more. <laughs> uh, do you think you've got another book in you? Seriously? Um, I mean, definitely I've got another book. Whether there is a follow on from this one, I don't know. Uh, because in writing it, it was it was as kind of interesting and revealing to me as it was I think it will or will be to the reader um, and so it was kind of curated in a way that um, I didn't kind of go so much into my life now and and really nothing to do very little to do with Trini and my time mm. together because that actually was as it turned out the least interesting part of my life and m mostly because um we were on television for most of our adult life and everyone knew everything about us already. So it was just, I, I, what I loved about, love about this book is that it's, it is quite nostalgic. It's the sixties, seventies and eighties was such a time of change. And it's kind of seen through the eyes of a girl who was ready for absolutely nothing. Well, you say that and you also say a lot of quite self-effacing things like I was only ever along for the ride. I was never driving the bus. That one stuck with me for some reason. Uh, but you're You really have read it. <laughs> I've read it, love. Yes, you really have. Um, but I, your education, um, what, what was that intended to prepare you for? Apart, I mean, was it literally just marriage? Uh, I mean... I well, I don't think it was just marriage. You don't go to school to learn to get married, but I think I went to school because that's just what you did. Um, and I think if you know there was an option not to not to go to school, I don't know if my parents would have bothered sending me. But I really did learn nothing there. I didn't make that many friends. I was very shy as a child, which is hard to believe now. Um, but I was with kind of, you know, girls from similar privileged backgrounds and we were being educated by each other, probably more than anything else, to become our mothers. 
Mm. Uh, you do say in the book as well, when you've been raised with no reason to try or make an effort, with nothing to strive for, where your opinion isn't important, valued or encouraged, it breeds a person destined to fade into the background. Now, Susanna, I put it to you, you didn't. <laughs> uh, you managed to get to the foreground, I think. But do you know what? That's such a damning indictment on where the kind of the, the upper class, the upper middle class, parents saw their girl's destiny and I mean this isn't back in the 1940s or 50s this is in the 80s and 90s isn't it I know it might well have been though but I think you know that did set a little kind of rebellious spark in me um, that attitude and so for me, my my rebelliousness didn't come from sex, drugs and rock and roll. There was a bit of that. Um, it was more about, OK, watch me. I'm going to go out, I'm going to work and I'm going to make my own money. And um, and that's what I did. So I was doing what was not expected of me. And that gave me um, a huge sense of satisfaction and self-worth. I love being part of a team. I loved working towards a common goal. You know, I worked with in fashion with John Galliano and um, Alistair Blair, another designer. And I learned so much there. I learned about the, the wider world. I learned, you know, I'd spent hours with the pattern cutters and watching them cut, um, you know, the patterns and then the fabric and then the toile. And it was fascinating to mm. me. And I just loved being surrounded by these people. Your dad was not an aristocrat. He was a very wealthy man and a very successful mm. successful businessman. But the fact that he was not aristocratic but aristocracy adjacent, if you like, that, that seemed to cause him a certain amount of embarrassment or shame or a mixture of the two? I don't know. I mean, I did put that in my book and I, it's something that has been raised and I have reflected upon. And I think... My dad, in one way, was very comfortable in his own skin. He was hugely bright and he was, you know, he was a wonderful man. And he, you know, he loved my sister and I as best he could with the tools he had because he was grown up in the equivalent. Well, he was brought up in the 1930s and 40s in quite a Victorian, sort of Victorian background. And um, he... I think he liked the lifestyle of the aristocracy. You know, he loved um, the, you know, going shooting and all kind of socialising and everything and having socialising on tap. So the Beaver Castle, where we grew up on the estate and rented a house there, you know, that was next door. And, and he was fundamentally the laziest <laughs> man in the world. Couldn't be bothered to do anything. God bless him. I'm quite similar. And um, and so his social life was on, and my mother's was on tap, and it was easy to orchestrate. Mm. But so much of what the picture that you paint of that kind of aristocratic adjacent life, it mm. just seems to make the people within it seem just be really unhappy you know, there are these incredibly wealthy, privileged people who end up, uh, I mean, in, in your peer group, taking heroin, your mum succumbed to alcoholism. You know, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't bear witness to money making people happy. Well, that's for sure. And I think I think more than anything, it wasn't, you know, of course, that that's a kind of sweeping generalisation. Of course, there were times when, you know, people were happy. But I think it's like when you have, 
you're you have no expectation of you or as a boy you have a, a predetermined path basically what's happening is that your dreams have been taken away and if you don't have something to dream for you know what's left and that mm. is incredibly deflating on your psyche it's like you know these families who, who come you know from these children who come from very very wealthy families and don't need to go out and work i think it's hugely damaging i really do but this is not a misery a misery method well i was about to say because it's sounding like it we need to make it clear that we join you at the start of the book when you've just been ghosted by dolph lundgren <laughs> i mean can i just say it's happened I mean, to all of us Susanna. you're not special but um, that, that just gives everybody just an his name is yeah, his name in itself is hilarious. That yes. just is funny. But you know what? We've had, it's like I was doing a book event and um, I was regaling the story and just saying, this is an extraordinary anecdote that reveals an ordinary truth. And the ordinary truth is that most of us, if we're honest, have had a one night stand or a quick fling and the guy or girl that you've had it with doesn't recognise you 10 years later. So that happened to me. It just happened to be with Dolph Lundgren. And anyway, so I asked the audience and there was this 88-year-old woman sitting at the front. And I said, has any, come on, has any, have any of you experienced this? And this woman, this old lady, shot up her hand and said, oh, goodness, yes, it happened to me three years ago. And um, I just thought, what a legend you are. So she'd been ghosted. Now, I don't know whether she'd gone the whole way. But, well, let's um, not. OK, Susanna, let's let's. We don't need to go there. We probably don't. But we do need to go to a few other places. Um, <laughs> where are you going to go first? I mean, it's hard to say. Um, you you did go out for a long, long time with, with Princess Margaret's son, um, Viscount Linley. I'm trying to get my aristocrats mm-hmm. right here. Um, and um, I think you were, you were with him for, was it five or six years? It was a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, six years. Six years. Six years. Um, And Mm -hmm. so during that period of time, you must have sort of, well, you did, you attended plenty of of royal family get-togethers. Did they, I mean, we're Mm -hmm. thinking obviously about Harry and Meghan at the moment. Did did they strike you as people who were trapped in a a world over which they had no control and were all as miserable as sin? Was it actually like that? No, I really, it really was not like that. And it, it was... It's it's like when I went, so going out with David, yes, of course, his mum was Princess Margaret and that was quite a thing to, to meet her for the first time. But she very quickly went from Princess Margaret to my boyfriend's mum. And, you know, they they are like a family What from what I saw, you know, the same, same as anyone else. And I didn't see them in their official roles, but behind the scenes, they, they were just a family who you know, maybe had a bit of an argument or laughed together or, you know, ate together, who supported each other. So I, I never saw that side. And I, you know, so from my perspective, I, I don't know what, what the real story is today. Well, that was what I'm talking about a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to keep the listeners guessing uh, about the uh, extreme nature of the incident that happened in the Lewes uh, in Greenwich with Princess Margaret <laughs> and we will go straight there Susanna, prepare yourself, prepare listeners, prepare yourself right, don't overdo it, after this advertising break As you're listening to me Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. 
There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, Susanna, you're at lunch at the Royal Naval College in Greenwich, and you go to the toilet, Lou, and what happens then? So I'm caught short after a kind of, I think it was baked Alaska or something and a silk cut cigarette and I had to go to the loo because um, things started moving. So I went to the loo and I was quite a long time and suddenly I heard the kind of click, 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 click of heels and a voice saying, Susanna, what are you doing? You've been gone for so long. And it was Princess Margaret. And um The reason I'd taken my time was because I couldn't get it to flush. Mm. And I said this to Princess Margaret. I said, Mum, it won't go down. And she said, right, come out, go and get a knife. And I didn't question this order. And off I trotted back into the dining room. That's where the sort of trestle tables. It was in the mess room. And um, I looked for a knife, but every knife was being used. Um... So I kind of searched around and I found this really rather lovely uh, cake slice on the side, silver cake slice with an ivory handle. So I took that, put it up my sleeve and I went back, not questioning why she might need this knife, just doing it. And she took it out of my hand, went into the cubicle, put the knife in the bowl of the loo and started chopping up. Yeah. And <laughs> chopping my poo up and then flushed the loo, handed me back the knife which I then went to wash. And it was, there was no question. And that's one of the things that was one of the many things that was so wonderful about her. She didn't, she was too kind of bigger personality to worry about what people thought. I think like myself, she had been in the Girl Guides as well. Um, Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. And and she was just practicality personified. And she really was someone who had a grit and resourcefulness and was totally lacking in any embarrassment. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of people rethinking their use of a cake slice over the festive period. Um, well, having... especially if you come to my house, because I've still got the knife. And oh, also, my God. <laughs> I, think, um, I think just the combination of the baked Alaska and the silk cut, people might be <laughs> passing on that this festive, <laughs> this festive time, Susanna. Uh, could we talk a little bit seriously about your mum, uh, who yes. was, uh, she suffered from bipolar disorder. She uh, mm-hmm. was a heavy drinker. That became alcoholism, didn't it, later in her life. And mm-hmm. she just seems to be a woman who's entirely trapped in her situation. Uh, mm. And as a consequence, your own childhood was undoubtedly blighted by all of that, wasn't it? 
It was, but you know what, Fee, I, I, I mean, it was, but my mum, despite her illness, like my father, she gave me everything she possibly could. And when she was, well, I wasn't really aware consciously of her illness until kind of my mid-teens. And subconsciously, I obviously knew there was something wrong because I was her watcher. You know, I watched her all the time. And I think that's why I found it so hard to go to boarding school, because I was sort of instinctively knew that she was fragile. And but, you know, whilst it was I mean, um, bipolar disorder is I mean, I think it's very obviously very different today. But back then it's mental illness was not a discussed. There was very little known about it. There was very little um you know uh, i mean she was a, she was a woman who never went to see a psychiatrist ever she was just given medication and it's you know had she been born for 50 years earlier she would have been sectioned um and i don't know whether i mean one of the reasons i started writing this well looking at my past life is i wanted to know if i could have avoided being an alcoholic and uh, myself, and I, you know, I looked at my mother, and I don't, I don't know totally whether she was drinking to self-medicate, or whether she actually had the disease. So I'm not clear about that. But, and the kind of positive I take from my mother, well, there are many things. You know, she was an incredibly kind, um, unjudgmental the sweetest person she treated everyone the same and and she was very gentle and very loving and her being ill and not knowing how she was going to be one day from the next gave me the ability to live 100% in the in the present because i never knew what the next day was going to be like so and that's that's how i look at it and i feel much, you know m you know much more heartbroken for her than um, for me, you know, I I had, yes, I had a privileged upbringing. Yes, there were challenges, but um, on the whole, you know, I still had people around me like Mrs. A, who was our housekeeper, who I adored, and she was like a surrogate mother. Um, and then latterly, when I got older, and and I thought, okay, well, I'm old enough to leave home. I'm going to get the hell out of here. I then kind of attached myself to Princess Margaret, who I also saw as the surrogate mother. Um, so I think for my mum, it was it was very, very challenging. And I think it was very challenging for my father, who chose to put his head in the sand about it. But you're right, though. It's all about timing, isn't it? If she'd been born, I don't know, 30 years after she was, she'd have been offered, well, one would hope, all kinds of talking therapies and much more support. And there'd be, a, well, there is a much more public conversation about mental health now, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it would be totally different. Mm. And and I wish, you know, I, people say, oh, have you got any regrets? And I usually say, no, I don't. But I wished that my mum was alive today and I could... To have you know helped her more and and also to have asked more about her background I don't know whether you guys have ever been like that but I, I was never interested in my parents past or why they became the people they were or what happened to them and that is a huge regret from for me I was I just wasn't interested they were just my mum and dad mm. and did your mum uh, see enough of your career to be proud of it 
Um, she wasn't really aware of it, Fee. Um, but my dad, you know, he he I you know, I heard sort of through mutual friends that, you know, your dad's really proud. And and then when he died, um prematurely he was only 69 when he died um and my sister and I were going through all his things and I found this big box underneath his bed with every press cutting every article I'd ever written every time I'd appeared in a red top I don't know where the hell he got the the newspapers from but um yeah it was all there so that was a kind of very sweet parting gesture um so, but my mum didn't, she she wasn't, she, it didn't really click with her. Mm. In the book, you are um, unsparing uh, and generous with your anecdotage, I have to say. And um, But I also, <laughs> I am aware that when you want to be somebody's friend, it is, it's terrifying for that individual. Jake Shears from Scissor oh, Sisters yeah. had absolutely no option but to become your mate. I mean, <laughs> it's terrifying. It is so Painful. I am. I mean, it's really quite disgusting behaviour the way I am. But if I, if I like someone and and I think they're fab, it's kind of almost like I'm not interested in um, what I think of them. Almost, I'm much more interested in what they think of me, which is so egotistical. <laughs> so I will go absolutely out of my way to charm charm them. And um, yes, and I did that with. Um, Jake Shears it took me three years of stalking and turning up at concerts like some really sort of sad teenage fan but I won in the end I not only did I get him to like me but I got him I got him to like me um, almost best of many of the people he know and who's in your sights at the moment Susanna well I did think of someone actually the other day, but I can't remember who it was. Okay, the world of but celebrity to be honest, can rest. I've, kind of, I've, yeah, I've got over it, but I, you know, I was, yeah, I was, I, I was shameless. I was shameless. I think I can rest on my laurels now. I haven't really got the energy to do that. Anymore. No, but also your address book is just insane. Yeah, it must I mean, be. it includes Elton. Does he go under E or under J? No, he goes on to something very rude. Oh, um, okay. Well, we definitely say. not. I mean, nor can, we, nor can we talk about the club you went to with Jake Shears. But trust me, it's a window I on know, the world. I know, it's such a shame, isn't well, it? Well, it's, I did it ask. It was such a moment. I it's asked such if we a could moment. talk about it and I was told we certainly couldn't. You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this, but live. Uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.